You are listening to the East Point Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church that exists to glorify God as a gospel community that is growing in faith and reaching the world. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. All right, good morning, East Point Church. How are you guys? Good to see you. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. We are in the book of Romans in the 12th chapter. And man, this morning, I'm just reminded of the verse that says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Man, when you just realize all the things we have in Christ, you're like, what can touch me? Anybody else have the joy of the Lord this morning? The joy of the Lord is my strength. So grateful for that. Uh, As we get into this message here this morning, I got to be honest with you, I I struggled. I struggled this week with this sermon, Um, not with the content. I struggled with the title. Man, there were so many options. So, So where I landed was here. The church has got talent. Bum, bum, bum. That's where I landed. You can judge me. I'm not sure. But, but here were some alternative, uh, alternate titles. You'd be the judge if I chose the best one. One other thought was, so you think you can serve. I thought that was pretty good. So I was torn. I just didn't know if that had as much of a ring, you know? So I, that was one option. America's best church crew. That was another option. thought maybe that was, you know, pithy and... You know, powerful. Another one was American Church Idol. Thought maybe I can do my, like, preach the entire sermon with a Simon Cowell accent. Uh, other option was the church's best. Thought that was decent. The masked preacher. Preach the whole sermon in a mask. And then you're like, who is it, Ronnie or Sam? I can't tell. Thought that'd be fun. And then my personal favorite was The Voice. Thought that could be a decent title as well. But I went with The church has got talent. You see, we are all gifted. We all have a role to play. We all have unique contributions. And here's where the world agrees with us. The world agrees that you're gifted. The culture agrees that you have a specific talent. But for the world, there's only one thing left to determine with your gift. Who's the best? That's what the world wants to figure out. Variety shows showcase our talents. Competition shows let us face off our gifts. You see, in the world, different is not enough. The world wants to be the best. The world wants you to be better than the rest. And so I'm making a joke with my sermon title this morning, but I think you understand that this has hit, this has hit big in our culture. I mean, the ratings communicate that the culture is loving this. Every single tele- or network television channel has their own version of a talent show. They have their own version of a variety show. And so people are devouring it. You can stream, you can go home and stream shows where people compete to determine who's the best singer, who's the best dancer, who's the best rapper, who is the funniest comedian, Who among us is the the smartest at trivia? Who has the most obscure random talent? And friends, my personal favorite, we could even compete to determine who is the best at putting Legos together. Have you seen that one? Lego masters? See, our world knows that we're gifted, but they want to compete. And while this approach is entertaining on television, I'm here to tell you that it is devastating in the church. This mentality, this competitive posture is extremely entertaining when we're watching Hell's Kitchen. But when we see it in the kingdom of God, it's more like hell than heaven. 
And so this morning, there are a few verses that are going to remind us that it is human nature to want to wield our gifts, to want to use our talents and strength with arrogance and pride. It's the way of the world to face off with competitive attitudes and ambitious attitudes. And just like the proverbial frog in water that gets hotter and hotter and hotter and the frog doesn't even know it's boiling, the attitudes of the world can infect the church. The competitive and ambitious mentalities of the world can seep in and before we know it, we are hosting our own version of America's best church crew. And for the next few moments, I want to show you some powerful verses in Romans chapter 12, where God is calling his people, the Lord is calling East Point Church to look at the mentality of the world. And he says to us, be not conformed, but be transformed. And so in these verses, we're going to ask ourselves this question, how should God's people use their gifts? How should God's gifted, talented followers of Christ use their gifts? So let me read to you Romans 12, 3 through 8, and then we'll go back through and break it down. This is God's word for East Point Church. Starting in verse 3, it says this. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Lord, would you open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things from your word. Speak to us, God. Show us the true nature of you. Show us the true nature of ourselves. And may we be different as a result of looking into your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's go back and look. Look at verse 3. Look what he says again here at the top of our passage. He says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. The first thing we see in our passage this morning Paul is telling us, view yourself with a sober mind. View yourself with a sober mind. He says it here that there is a way that you ought to think of yourself. There is a way that is appropriate for you to evaluate yourself because you are God's creation. Each and every single one of you in this room, you are imbued with a sense of value. You are made in the image of God. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You should value yourself. You should have a strong sense of self-worth because you're made in the image of God. You are valuable. Now, here's the call. 
You who are valuable, don't supersede that value. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. You're valuable. Yes, value yourself. Now don't hyper your value. I'm gonna, in, in the Greek, the word to think of yourself, to have an opinion of yourself, it's one word. It's called phroneo. Okay, you're like, why are you telling me Greek? I'm not in school. I'm going to make a point here, okay? The word is phroneo, to mean to think of yourself. Do you know what this word, it's one word. When he says to not think of yourself more highly, he says don't hyper-phroneo. He literally makes up a word there. Don't hyper-phroneo. And we get that because we still use that word, hyper. Do not hyper-inflate your sense of value. Don't hype yourself up. His point is here. We need to be careful not to overestimate the value of our gifts. We need to be careful not to overinflate the importance of our contribution and our role. Don't hype yourself up, is what he's saying. And so I know a guy, and this guy's, he's just so arrogant. You know, this guy, he, he has this tendency to to say to himself, not simply I'm gifted. Because all of us can say I'm gifted, but this guy, man, he gets on my nerves because this guy, he, he starts to think and his, and his thinking changes and he goes from I'm gifted and he starts to say I'm better. You know what I'm talking about? Man, this guy, he starts to compare himself and, and he starts to create a level of rank and importance and, and it's a sign that he thinks too highly of himself. Man, that guy, he gets on my nerves. If you talk to him long enough, you'll start to understand that he believes that he is also not just better, but he's also indispensable. And this guy, what a piece of work, huh? He says to himself, man, this thing would fall apart if it weren't for me, right? <laughs> you can't do this without me. Do you know who I am? And this guy, talk to him long enough, you'll, you'll realize that he also believes that he's irreplaceable. Not only is he indispensable, but nobody can do what he does. Only I can do this. This guy, man. You know who that guy is? It's me. Talking about myself. These are the symptoms that I've learned to diagnose in my own heart and in my own life when I start to think of myself more highly than I ought to think. So maybe you're here this morning and these attitudes have crept into your heart. Maybe as you've wielded your gift, maybe as you've had a sense of, yes, I can contribute, maybe in your contribution, somewhere along the way, you have evolved from I'm gifted to I'm better. I'm irreplaceable. I'm indispensable. And here's what Paul just wants us to say. Out of love, he tells us from the word of God, none of us are irreplaceable. None of us are indispensable to the growth and advancement of God's kingdom. Therefore, this haughty thinking has no place in God's church. Instead, what are we supposed to do? He says, think with sober judgment. He uses an alcohol metaphor here, right? I'm not hyped up. I'm not inflated. I am not intoxicated by my own gift set. I am not high on my own brand. But also, notice, it's also, you're not lowly or overly glum. I'm not, I'm not intoxicated on my gifts, and I'm not falsely humble of my gifts. No, no, there is an estimation of myself. There is an estimation of yourself that is fitting and appropriate. 
we are to have an honest and humble assessment of ourselves, of our value, and our importance. Be sober-minded. And so how do I know if I'm sufficiently sober? How do I determine if, the, if my view of my gifts is too inflated? Well, he says here, think about yourself and your gifts according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Each of you have been given a measure of faith. Okay, we're not talking about saving faith, okay? Oftentimes in the Bible, the word faith refers to that initial belief and trust you had when you came into the family of God. If you are not in the family of God, if you have never come to a point in your life where you have trusted in Jesus, where you have turned from your old life and you said, I'm rolling with Jesus now. He's my king. He's my Lord. That level of trust and faith, that is saving faith. That's not what he's talking about here. He says, according to the measure of faith that each has been assigned. God has given each person a level of faith, meaning there's a level of vision that God has put in your heart regarding the gifts he's given you. God has given each of us a a level of belief, a level of conviction to go, I believe this is what God wants me to do with the gifts that he's put in my hand. And so there's going to be a certain drive. There's going to be a certain desire to use my gift, a, a certain level of confidence and aspiration that is proportionate to the measure of faith that God has put in my heart. I am believing that God wants me to do this, that's the level of faith that he's given me for this gift. All right, let me give you an example. Do you know who the best teacher is? We're going back to the game show. Who is the best teacher at East Point Church? Not me. I'm not kidding. You're laughing. I'm not kidding. Do you know who the best teachers are at East Point Church? They're upstairs teaching our kids right now. Kylie Shapley. Tamara Forte. Darlene Matson. the best, most gifted teachers in our church are teaching upstairs. The best, most gifted teachers, Reggie Harrell, is teaching our brand new disciples in Discipleship 101. Those are the most gifted teachers in our church. I'm not being falsely humble. They have a gift. Ask anybody who's under their ministry. But here's the difference. Those individuals, because of their gift, or or I would say in spite of their gift, they have no desire for this particular platform. And so the world, the way that the world works, they see that you have a gift and they say, we got to take this thing to Hollywood. Come on, bigger and better. You have a gift. We got to go to the Olympics. We got to level up. You have to. And if you have a teaching gift and you say, I have a teaching gift, but I have no desire to do what Sam does, the world's going to go, come on, what's wrong with you? Don't you believe in yourself? Don't don't you know that bigger is better? The bigger the platform, the more important it is. And the world looks at gifted people and say, elevate, 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 elevate. But those individuals would say, no, I know myself. And the Lord has not put that level of vision. He has not assigned to me that level of faith to believe him that he wants me to do that. That is not something I'm striving for. Do you guys see the difference? The world says, if you have a gift, we're going to Hollywood. 
We're going to the Olympics. We're going to the major leagues. We got to go to Broadway. The world is marked by ambition and drive and a competitiveness that says aim bigger. Take everything to the next level. Do whatever it takes to blow the brand of your gift up. If you have a gift, aim for the top. And anything less for that is a failure. To not even strive for that is a waste of your talent. Be not conformed to that mentality. You see, church, we are not to allow the ambition and drive and next level competitive thinking of the world to infect our motives. You have been given a gift to play in the kingdom. You have a role in the church. God has called you to contribute them. He has called you to serve your fellow man. He has called you to glorify your Father in heaven. And as you assess your gift, as you seek your place, do it according to the measure of faith that God has put in your heart, not according to the ambition of the world. What do you believe God wants you to do with your gift? Do that and no more. View yourself with a sober mind. And so what has God put in your heart? Don't allow the world to make you think like you have to be bigger and better and go further for it to be significant. Man, I can't say enough about this. It is so easy for activity in the kingdom of God to be worldly ambition marked by a thin veneer of spirituality. There's a lot of activity. There's a lot of motion happening in the kingdom of God, and it's just Ambition and desire for more. Do something in the kingdom because you believe it's what God wants you to do, not because someone says you should do it. And at the same time, can I speak for a moment to the achievers and the dreamers among us? To those who are believing God for big things, whatever God has put in your heart, listen to me, do not sideline yourself. Do not mute that, that, that holy ambition for fear, of that, for fear of appearing arrogant, for fear of thinking, well, I don't want people to think that I'm, if God has put in your heart, go for it. Dream big, do big things for the kingdom. If that's the level of faith that God has assigned to you, go for it. Go for it. View yourself with a sober mind. So we're all different. We all have a role to play. We have to do it according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And so as we start to operate in our gifts, as you start to use your gift, as I start to use my gift, something is going to become very obvious. We're going to notice very quickly, oh, we're different. And so Paul, bringing back one of our favorite metaphors, we should be professionals by now in this metaphor. Look at verses four and five. He says this, for as in one body, we have many members. And the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ. And individually, members one of another. The second thing we must do if we're going to use our gifts right, we have to appreciate our diverse unity. There's no denying it. Look around, guys. We're different. We're different. Just like a physical body, we have many members. You and I are very different. We do not all have the same function. A hand is very different than a foot, is very different than a human eye. We're all different. The people in this room, as I have the privilege of of leading this beautiful church, I just love the mosaic of gift sets, 
different strengths, different personalities, different styles, different backgrounds and experiences, different functions. And these differences are nothing less than the evidence of God's handiwork and God's creativity. But here's the other side of this beautiful paradox. Though we are different, though we are diverse in our functions, what does it say? Though the parts are many, we are one. We are still one body. We are individually members, one of another. The hand and the foot, it doesn't matter how different they are. They are part of the same body. And to cut one off would not only maim the body, but it would prove deadly for the individual member. Man, the hand is nice, no doubt, right? Look at the dexterity. Have you guys admired your opposable thumbs lately? I'm serious, man, right? Like, how many of you, you're just like such a crazy texture that your thumb has ever ached you? right? If your thumb has ached, put the phone down, all right? Because you're doing damage to the most beautiful, ambidextrous, dexter- whatever it is, right? It's beautiful. But if you cut it off from the body, what good is a hand, right? Honey, I got you a Christmas present. Open up your box. It's a hand. That's a horror show. Though we are different, we are one body, And so here's why I want to, I know we've already done this metaphor before, but here's why I think this is so important right now. Because yet again, the world agrees with what I'm saying. We are different. We do have different backgrounds. We are of different races. We do have different personalities. We do have different opinions. The world agrees with us. We are different. But when the world sees the differences, they say battle. Because diversity equals division. Diversity equals division. What do you believe? What do I believe? Great. Now that I know, we can create a new tribe. And then what do you do? I mean, there's, you can get so binary on dozens and dozens and dozens of things. It's no longer Republican versus Democrat. It's no longer black versus white. It's pro this, anti this, pro this, pro this, pro this. And it's like, what is happening? The world sees all of our differences and even the slight differences of opinions, and they do battle, and they start drawing battle lines. Because if I don't know who I'm against, who can I attack? The Bible says when we see our differences, we don't go into battle mode. We think body, diversity. Oh, yeah, of course, that equals unity. When I see somebody different than me, I don't cut it off. I say, same team, bro. Diversity, friends. There is unity in our diversity. Two vastly different paradigms here. Two very different lenses through which we can view our differences. And the Lord is saying to us, be not conformed. I hate to say it this early, but we're going to get there this fall. Friends, it's an election year. It's an election year. And are we going to be a people that when we see people who are different from us, we say battle and divide? Or will we be a church that says body, night? Two very different paradigms. Be not conformed. Be transformed. And do you know why this paradigm is even possible? Do you know what's going to help us unite? This is not just a TED Talk. This is not just Sam is really inspirational so we can be one team and sing Kumbaya. No, no. The reason why we're able to approach our diversity with a body mentality and not a battle mentality, look what it says. We are one body 
in Christ. Unity is not aspirational. It's a reality. You are one. You are a unified whole entity. You are the body because you are in Christ. In Christ, we have more that unites us than divides us. This diverse unity can only exist because we stand in Jesus. We are part of the family of God. We have been brought together from every tribe, nation, and tongue. There is a diverse unity here. Why? Because Jesus literally died for it. Jesus died on the cross so that estranged, alienated people can come together as one. He shed his blood, not for the hand, not for a foot, not for one type of person. He didn't die on the cross for one gender. He didn't shed his blood for one race over another. He came for all of us, willing to adopt us into his family, regardless of our differences. In Christ, this is not a social club. We're not united by our hobbies, right? Community is a buzzword these days, right? And I'm, I'm personally a part of many communities. I'm a part of the running community. <laughs> so pretentious, right? The, the running community. I'm a part of the chess community. How many of you are part of the coffee community? And, the, and we have all these communities, right? That, wow, you got a lot of noise on that one, right? <laughs> like, Sam, this is a coffee community, okay? That's fine. But my point is clear, guys, what, what unites us is not a shared hobby. This is not an affinity group. Like, the thing that we have in common is not just that we live next to each other. The thing that is most real about you is also most real about me. We are followers of Jesus. I'm not an American who happens to be a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus who happens to be planted in America. I am not a Hispanic who happens to be a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus who happens to be Hispanic. My identity is in Christ, and your identity is in Christ. And because we share that in common, we're united. And let me just say, because we have people every week who are not a part of the family of God, right? And you're here because, like the song said earlier, you're crying out for something, and you're hungry, and I'm glad you're here. But you need to understand that there's a line there's a point in the road, there's a line in the sand where there comes a point where you, you cry out, God, I'm running after you, I'm running after you. And there comes a point where he's like, are you in? Are you a part of the family? Are you, are you willing to sell it all, to leave it all behind, to sell all your possessions, metaphorically speaking, right, using the scripture, just like everything I have is rubbish compared to knowing you, and you leap. You dare to believe that God is gracious and merciful enough to forgive you of your sins and to wipe you clean. Friends, when you leap over that line, when you come to that point of faith of surrender, God catches you and he washes away your sins and he gives you new faith. He gives you a new heart. He gives you a new family. He fills you with new purpose. And in that moment, you are in Christ. And when you're in Christ, we're one. You're part of the family. And so I just have to ask you, because I'm a preacher and because I love you and because I'm glad you're here, are you a part of this united one? Man, I just want to talk about that. Are you a part of this united one? Are you a part of the body? Or have you just been hanging out around the body? 
Many of you are here and you're around Christ, but Jesus is calling you this morning to be in Christ. Put your faith in Jesus. Cry out to him and he will save you. And so now every time that we come together, we look around at the different strengths and the races and the backgrounds and the gifts and the personalities and all of these complementary differences are a powerful reminder of Christ's power to break down walls and to build one people where there used to be many. You see, that's why we value diversity here because our diversity is a powerful reminder of God's vision for one family, one body, one people, one hope, filled with one spirit, serving one Lord. Man. You see, the world, if they were to walk into this room right now, I'm just looking around this room, right? If the world were to walk into this room, they would go, uh, excuse me, y'all don't belong together. Do you know how she voted? You shouldn't be sitting in the same room. Do you know what he posted on social media? Do you know what he thinks? Do you know what his opinions are on that? Do you know how he and the world would look at all of the diverse. Do you know what her race is? And you're sitting in the same pew? Did you see her hashtag? Did you see the sign she had in her lawn? Right? And we just, the world would look at all the diversity here, and they'd go, this doesn't make sense. You shouldn't be hanging out, let alone worshiping God together. And we say, I know. Isn't it beautiful? <laughs> it makes no sense. That doesn't work like that. I know it. And they'd go, then how did you do it, Sam? I'd say, well, here's what I did. I got some Kool-Aid. And they all drank it. And then they forgot their differences. And before you, no, no, no. How did we do it? In Christ. The only hope for a fractured world is Christ. Not more hashtags. Not more hashtags, not new candidates, not new social projects. The only hope for unity is Christ. Because when he spread his arms on a cross, he died for all of us. And you're just as much of a sinner as me. So far be it from me to not associate with you another sinner because I think I'm better than you. Do you get it? How, is God's, how are God's people supposed to use their gifts? Number one, we have to view ourselves with a sober mind. Number two, we have to appreciate our diverse unity. And number three, look at the last few verses here. Look what he says. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. The diversity of our body comes into focus here. He starts to give us very practical examples. He says we have leaders, we have givers, we have teachers, etc. There are a variety of gifts, but the command is the same for all. Let us use them. All of you are gifted. Let us use them. Let us use them. Number three, contribute your God-given gifts. Contribute. Contribute them. Get them in the game. 
And before you do, let's just pause and look at the word again. There's a powerful takeaway here about the nature of your gifts, okay? There are a host of categories that we use in the English language to describe your strengths. You have abilities, strengths, competencies, talents, skills, right? Like all of these different words. But the Bible consistently uses the same word, and it's this, gifts. He's not simply using it as a synonym for talents and abilities. No, no, no. They're called gifts because they've been given to us by a gift giver as an act of his grace. They're gifts. I want to show you something at the risk of being called a geek, a Greek geek. I want to show you one more Greek word here, okay? Look what this says here. The word grace. We just saw grace there, right? You know what the Greek word for grace is? Charis, okay? Any charity? Anybody named charity? You know the same root there? In English, cherry? One of these days we'll have a charity. Lord, bring a charity to East Point Church, all right? Grace is charis. The second word we just saw in our Bible, he said grace, and he also said gift. What's the Greek word for gift? Charismata. Charismata. Literally, he's saying the thing of grace. Like that's the word, the word gift in Greek. It's saying your, your grace thing. Your grace gift, the, the thing you've been graced. And so maybe we should stop looking around and saying, wow, you're gifted. You're gifted. What if we started saying you're graced? You're graced. Man, when God loaded up, backed up his truck of grace into your house, man, he unloaded a ton of grace on you. You are grace, sister. You are grace, brother. The gift that you have is just that. It is a gift. When we realize that there are graces, we see how silly it is to boast in our gift, don't we? It's like my kid who goes to school and he starts to brag about his Christmas gifts. Look what I got. I got the new Transformer. Aren't I cool? And it's like, hey, kid. You didn't do anything to earn that gift. There's no reason to boast. It was a gift given to you. If anything, boast in your parents because they're awesome. So I'm just, I'm just saying this is a hypothetical lecture in my house. Right? I'm like, moral of the story, your father is the best, okay? But you get my point, right? When we boast about our gifts and we don't view ourselves with sober judgment, it's like, hey, what did you do? It's a gift. It was given to you. What did you do to earn that? Boast in God's grace. All right, so each of us has gifts that are different. And so what are we to do? My grace may, be look, may look different than yours, but it doesn't matter. If you've been graced, go and use it. Don't sit there wishing you had a different grace. Contribute your God-given gift to go and build up the people around you and to glorify your Father in heaven. And so he goes on a list here. He says, if prophecy is your gift, if you are used by God to speak for God, do it. We need that gift. We need more and more people who, when they speak, it's like listening to the oracles of God, and we go, wow, as a result of that conversation with my community group leader, God spoke to me. Man, when I sat in that sermon, it just wasn't a TED talk. It was, how many times do I hear people say, have you been talking to my husband? Because you were talking about me today. And I'm like, sister, I promise you, I don't want anything to do with your business right now, okay? God is speaking to you. If you have that gift, say what you believe God wants you to say, not what you think might make you famous. If service is your gift, 
then use it in your serving. Think of the Acts chapter 6 ministry team leader. Think of the servant leaders of our church who are gifted at taking care of the practical needs of our church. Serve in your serving. I mentioned this earlier. If teaching is your gift, then flex that muscle by getting in the game and teaching. We need teachers. If exhortation is your gift, some of you are so gifted at exhortation. You know what exhortation is? It is the ability to move people to action. It is the ability to call people, to encourage them, to bring them higher, and to move them further. What Paul is doing right now in these verses, he's exhorting. Do you see the irony? He's telling us to use his gift. How is he telling us? By using his gift. Look at what it said in the first verse. For by the grace given to me, I say to you. He's been graced to exhort. And so what is he doing? He's exhorting us to use our grace. If that's your gift, exhort away. He says here, if giving is your gift to the one who contributes, then do so generously. You see, if you look at this gift set, you'll realize we're actually called to do all of these things, right? So you're like, uh, we should all contribute. Yes, but some of you are gifted at it. We're all called to give, but some of you are gifted at it. We're all called to exhort one another, but some of you are just gifted at it. We're all called to lead in some way, but, but some of you are just gifted at it. Think of Barnabas in the book of Acts, right? Everybody was coming and contributing to the offering because they had this growing community, and, and they're like, man, we got widows among us. We have needs. So they started contributing. Then there were people like Barnabas who went and sold a field. He had a real estate transaction so that he can go and bring the proceeds and contribute to the church. It's a gift. So if that's your gift, give away, be generous. He says here, if leading is your gift, the one who leads, then leader, lead. Hey, leader, lead. Lead away. I just think about how many of you are gifted leaders in the world and you own businesses and, and, and organizations and you're providing direction and vision and leadership. And then we come into the church and we think, well, my job will be to hand out the water bottles. We need that job, don't get me wrong, but, but do, we, do we aspire for more? Do we see the water bottle job as the end? Well, this is my contribution to the church. Or do we see it as a means to go, hey, you know what? This is how I'm going to contribute in this season. And in this season, this is where I'm going to learn and grow. This is the workshop of, of my soul. I'm doing this not just because that's the end, but because this is going to help me develop into understanding what the mission of the church is all about. If you're a leader, if people follow you, then use that leadership gift in the church. One more here. He says, maybe God has gifted you for acts of mercy. God has designed some of you guys with an enormous capacity for extending mercy and restoring people who have fallen. You see, a lot of people will see, will see those who have fallen away and they go, yeah, they deserve that. That's me. Man. Oh, man, I'm so judgmental, right? You see people have fallen, and, and your flesh just goes, yeah, serves you right, ha, ha. You know, and it's like, that's not merciful. That's evil. These are people who rejoice in opportunities to extend mercy because they know they have the privilege of demonstrating God's mercy. If that's you, friend, if you have a deep supernatural capacity for mercy, then do it with cheerfulness. I get to show mercy. I get to illustrate the mercy of God. 
We're all called to do these things, but some of you are perfect. Some of you are gifted at it. So how are you gifted, friends? How are you gifted? Take an assessment. Ask a friend. Don't ask your mom, because she'll tell you you're gifted at everything. Ask a friend who will be honest with you. Try different things. See what produces fruit. Let's find out. And like Paul says, contribute your God-given gifts. And so imagine if we were a church where every person in the pew, every person in the seat said, according to the grace given to me, I'll host. According to the grace given to me, I'll, I'll organize. According to the grace given to me, I'll lead. According to the measure of faith that God has assigned to me, I'll serve. I'll give. I'll teach. What would happen if we had a church where everybody said, according to the grace given to me, all hands on deck? I know exactly what would happen. I don't need to guess. I know exactly what would happen to this community of faith. Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, look what would happen if we all did that together. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. What happens to the body when every part is functioning? We grow up. We're healthier. We're more developed. The body is moving. That sounds pretty good to me. Anybody, anybody else? Then all hands on deck. All hands on deck. And so as I invite the band up, I want to ask you this question. Which of these three mentalities might the Lord be asking you to work on this morning? Maybe you're here and and the Lord is whispering to your heart, view yourself with a sober mind. Maybe the Lord needs to confront some attitudes in your heart. Maybe a little bit of the I'm irreplaceable mentality has seeped in to your I'm gifted mentality. Maybe you're here and the, and the Spirit is whispering to you, I want you to appreciate our diverse unity. Ask the Lord to help you not just acknowledge the diversity, but to genuinely value it. Not to tolerate our differences, but to appreciate them, to recognize the complementary interconnectedness that God has designed. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're here and the Lord is whispering to you, contribute your God-given gift. Are you sidelined? Is it time to get in the game? Is it time to have that conversation that you've been putting off saying, where do I fit in? God has put a gift in your hand, friend. So let's use it. All hands on deck. Father, we love you. We thank you for how you have spoken to us. We thank you for your word that, that we are not to be conformed to the operating principles of the world, but we are being transformed. You are making us something beautiful. You're making us something attractive. You're making us something that shines a spotlight on the goodness and beauty of God. And so, Father in heaven, would you change us? God, I ask you that you would forgive me for worldly attitudes. Forgive me for mentalities that are not worthy of the kingdom. And then, Lord, change me. Thank you for the grace that you've given each one of us. May we use it according to the measure of faith you have assigned. Give us vision. Give us direction. And let us serve for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. And the church said,
I'm going to invite you guys to stand. And I want us to pray. Before we sing, I want us to pray our prayer that we have assigned here in January for this All Hands on Deck series. Lord, give me vision for my life. Help me embrace the reality that you want to use me and that you have called me and gifted me to play a role for your glory. Amen. We want to thank you again for joining us for this week's sermon podcast. My name is Daniel, and I'm the music and creative pastor here at East Point Church. And if you were challenged, encouraged, or impacted in any way by this week's sermon, we would love to hear about it. It's your stories that encourage us and what we do, and we just want to celebrate what God is doing in your life. So you can go ahead and share with us at podcast at epeason.com. Also, make sure that you subscribe to our channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Have a great week.